Amen. Good morning. We've had a good week and uh, very thankful for the rain this week, God's provision and uh, breaking the temperature and for all of God's goodness and grace and we thank Him and we do praise His name and uh, I pray that you will be on mission. Uh, there are ways that you can give and that you give through the uh, uh, our Mary Hill Davis State Mission offering and we thank you, yes, for your cooperation along with other the other churches within our state and uh, sharing within this and uh, just thank Main Street for this. And you can pray, and you can pray about what God would do in and through your life as for your service, for the ministry, in and during the days ahead and days to come. And so there's many things that uh, we can do. Next Sunday, when we come together, we have that one worship service, and I've been tasked to... Uh, just preach a, a mission message, and I want to do something a little bit different next week. I want to uh, uh, just preach a message about uh, uh, what about all of those particular people that have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned in my message, but there are over uh, three billion people in this world that have never heard the name of Jesus. Can you imagine? Okay. Now, what about those when they stand before God? Will they have opportunity to, will they have, you know, what, what's going to be the verdict? What will God say to them? Uh, what will happen? And uh, so I hope that you'll be praying about this, praying about next Sunday and for the time that we have together in our time of worship and uh, for this time as we share for this particular Mission Sunday. Well, I do like this time of year. I, I like the the season. I like the new season that we do have. I do like the fall. I like the uh, cooler temperatures that we do have. And one thing that I like about this particular season is, is that I love college football. Now, every week, you know, I try to get up and watch a portion of game day, and I like to hear the stories. I like to hear the uh, history of the school, of a rivalries and what takes place within that particular school. And, you know, you may like it, you may not, but it's just something that I like to, to, to look forward to every, every fall. I like to read about the history of a lot of the schools and uh, like to hear their fight songs and especially like to hear of the history behind particular fight songs. I have a younger son who's a football coach at Cedar Park, and he is a big Michigan Wolverine fan. Don't ask me why, he just is. But Michigan has a fight song that is called The Victors. Now, the words go something like this. Hail to the victors, valiant hail to the conquering heroes. Hail, hail to Michigan, the leaders and the best. Now, believe it or not, that song was written in November of 1898. It was written by a Michigan student named Louis Elbels. And he wrote that song right after Michigan beat their arch rival, the University of Chicago, and beat them in the last minute or so, beat them 12 to 11. The victors. When the Apostle Paul came to the final verses of the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, of his first letter to the church at Corinth, 
It was as though that he sang a song of victory. Now, I invite you to take your Bible this morning and turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want us to just focus on those last two verses of that chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 57 and 58, and talk to you this morning about a song of victory and how you can have that song of victory in your heart. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57. Paul begins by just saying, But thanks be to God, who gives to us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Because of the assurance of Jesus Christ, the assurance that we have of Jesus Christ, victory over death and his resurrection, we know that nothing that we do for him is ever going to be wasted. It will never be lost. And so like a skilled apologist, uh, the apostle will take those first 56 verses in this particular chapter And he'll begin to talk to us and answer questions about the when, why, how the dead are raised in Jesus Christ. In fact, he begins this particular chapter, and when you go to verses 3 and 4 of this chapter, he gives to us the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, if anyone ever asks you, what is the gospel, what is the good news, you can point them to verses 3 and 4, because Paul just said, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Now what had happened is, is that the skeptical attitude of Greek philosophy, of denying the resurrection, of saying that there is no resurrection from the dead, that Christ did not rise from the grave, what had happened is, is that uh, this kind of thought system had infiltrated had invaded the church at Corinth. And if the Corinthians let themselves be dragged away by the skeptics, by the naysayers of this particular doctrine, they would deny their only hope for salvation. No matter how persuasive the opposing argument sounded, the Corinthians were to remember the truth of Christ's resurrection their union with Jesus Christ, and yes, their own future resurrection. It is through Jesus Christ that we have this victory, that we share this victory, and that together, that yes, we can even sing that dear old song, Victory in Jesus. And so Paul just sings, But thanks be to God, who continues to give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We experience the power of His resurrection in our lives as we yield and as we surrender unto Him. And then what He does is, in verse 58, He concludes with a hymn of praise and admonition to the church. It was the Bible teacher, Warren Wearsby, that said of this one particular verse of 1 Corinthians 15, 58, Warren Wiersbe said that verse 58 is the answer to Ecclesiastes where 38 times 
Solomon used the sad word vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Or as the Living Bible uh, paraphrases it, nothing is worthwhile. Everything is futile. So to, to Solomon, vanity, but to Paul, victory. And just as the early believers needed encouragement as they worked, as they served, as they labored in the Lord, I say to you today that each and every one of us, that we need the same encouragement in the Lord because, yes, we serve a risen Savior. Therefore, just as Paul does in in many of his letters, that uh, theology now becomes a challenge, that uh, true doctrine results in a godly life. That what we believe is going to determine how we behave and and how we conduct in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, considering all that has been said about the resurrection, we have the facts, a historical fact. And yes, we have something to live for. Now, how do we do so? And how is it that every day that we can wake up and we can sing that song of victory that Jesus Christ lives. Well, Paul tells us. He says, number one, be steadfast in your service. Steadfast in your service. It it has not become steadfast that he says in verse 58, but it is the imperative command. Continue to be steadfast. That from now on until death, be and remain steadfast. Now, the New International Version, the English Standard Bible, says, stand firm. The Living Bible, the New Living Translation, says, be be strong. Now, Paul presupposes that the Corinthians are steadfast. And that adjective means sitting, established in a seat, fixed, settled, firm, solid. Having a victory so great and vital that our first obligation is to be firmly and fully settled in it and to realize for ourselves as believers in Jesus Christ the greatness and the glory of the resurrection. That we can abide in the resurrection of our living Savior with joy and thanksgiving. It was uh, 31 years ago. There on uh, south of us here at on uh, I-10, Interstate 10 and 1604, just uh, right out of a growing area of San Antonio, that uh, there was another amusement park that began. And the amusement park was kind of a parallel to Six Flags Over Texas. And we know it to be Fiesta, Texas. Now, Fiesta, Texas, in 1992, they advertised this particular roller coaster called the Rattler. Now, the Rattler was violent. The original Rattler, by the way, was violent, was fast, it was vicious. And uh, so we as a family in 1992, we went to Fiesta, Texas, and yes, we rode the Rattler. Now, I can tell you that when I saw that roller coaster for the first time 
And I saw how fast and how vicious and violent that roller coaster was and any kind of roller coaster was that I wanted to be sitting. I wanted to be established in a seat, fixed, subtle, firm, solid. I didn't want to have to be jostled around. In fact, later on I found out that uh, the engineers had to come in and kind of tone down the Rattler because there were some people having back problems and neck problems when they were getting off. And so there was uh, a lot of things that were happening. Well, listen, spiritually, it is a word when to be steadfast. It is a word to many who serve and may be inwardly unstable spiritually. Like standing on spiritual quicksand, uh, never settling down in solid faith. That they allow their hearts and their minds to be fixed elsewhere attached to empty thoughts or empty ideas or to another kind of worldview. As Paul says in another place in Ephesians 4, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Uh, To them there is no joy in service in the Lord. There is no joy in service, no joy when it comes to the Lord, no definitely no joy in service or ministry if there's any kind of ministry at all. Now listen, I say that if that is you, then dear friend, you come back, you heed and you hear and turn to the glorious Savior who lives today, be steadfast in your service. But listen, it's also a word to those of you who remain faithful, you remain steadfast in your service, and yes, to keep on keeping on, and as Paul says in Philippians 3.10, that you will know Christ, continue to know Christ, and yes, the power of His resurrection. You be steadfast in your service. Now, the companion with this is to be immovable in your suffering. Again, the international version, the English Standard Bible says, let nothing move you. The Living Bible, today's English version, says, be steady. Literally, do not be shifted from your position. Now, what this refers to is this. It refers to the outward solicitation, the attacks that come in and upon our lives as believers, as the church. That just as the skeptics in that first century were ready to assault the faith and ridicule of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to those in Corinth, I think that we could all agree that yes, we do live in an anti-Christian society that would seek to do the very same, whether it's at school or work or, you know, wherever it may be. To think that believers are assaulted for what they believe. Now those doing the assaulting, isn't it amazing? There are some who are kind of subtle in order to lead believers into a compromise of their faith. While there are others that are out there in their assaulting of the faith who just come out with outright immoral temptation. That their goal is to turn believers who are victors in Jesus Christ into slaves to the culture in which they live. And yes, we know that many are persecuted and suffer because of their faith, whether it's at school, work, wherever it may be. Paul says, look, he says, 
you be immovable in your suffering. Going back to college football, before there was ever the Texas Longhorns or the Texas Aggies or the Baylor Bears or whoever your team may be, there were other great powers, for instance, going all the way back more than 100 years in the 1920s. Notre Dame University had what was known as the Four Horsemen Backfield. Illinois had a galloping ghost. And at a Jesuit school in the Bronx, New York, the Fordham Rams had what was known as the Seven Blocks of Granite. Now, if you know anything about this, that in the one-platoon era of football, this in the 1930s, The Fordham linemen played both offense and defense, and the seven blocks of granite became college football immortals moving lines and themselves being immovable. In fact, there was a football coach by the name of Vince Lombardi that played for Fordham and was one of those seven blocks of granite. Immovable. Moving lines. Immovable. Spiritually, Hebrews 13.9 says this, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. There must be a solid personal conviction in our life that is settled, that is firm against every assault, against every false teaching. You may be mocked. You may be ridiculed. You may suffer for the faith. It's not about your personal opinion. It's not about your personal preferences. But it is immovable in your biblical convictions. You know, historically, you you can just parallel 1st century Christianity and 21st century Christianity. The Greco-Roman world had no confidence in an afterlife. And none that we know of believed in the resurrection. In fact, a common motto on epitaphs in Roman late antiquity read this way. I quote, and it's sad. I was not, I was, I am not, I care not. Sad words of deep expressions of a hopeless world, a world without God, a world without hope. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything that with his resurrection, the promise of an authentic, verified afterlife for the followers of Jesus gained a new life. And when Jesus offers, what he offers is not a pie in the sky in the sweet by and by, but the promise grounded in a real historical event. An event that was witnessed firsthand by several many witnesses. You can sing a song of victory as you steadfast in your service. That you are are immovable in your times of suffering for your faith. But listen, you can sing a song of victory as you abound in service to others. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. If Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead, and if no change, no transformation awaits us, then we should have no real work in life. I mean, why is it we're even meeting here today if Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave? 
But because of our spiritual wealth and our eternal victory in Jesus Christ, we can afford to abound. We're not called to sit idle with uh, selfish enjoyment, but to have diligent effort in the work of the Lord. So here's what Paul says. The New, Eng- the New International Version, the English Standard Bible says again, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The Amplified puts it this way, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, that is, always being superior, excelling, doing more than enough. And I love the way the New Living Translation puts it, Always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. Because there's sometimes we're not enthusiastic, enthusiastic isn't it? but always enthusiastic about the Lord's work. And in verse 58, there are two New Testament words for work in this particular verse. The first word is the general word for work. Paul says, abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, the Bible presents a positive perspective on work that begins with God. Work did not arrive in the world as a direct result of the fall into sin, though sin did not, uh, did, sin did spoil working conditions. No, when we look at it, work was planned by God from the dawn of history for our good, for mankind's good. The second word for work, where Paul says, knowing that your work or your toil or your labor is not empty, is not in vain. That word there means to work to the point of exhaustion, to work hard for the Lord. It is the weariness that follows the hard labor. Now, look at it again. Always, Paul says, as a youth, middle age, senior adult, As long as God gives you health, as long as you're vertical, and the good and the not-so-good days, when there are many who work with you, the work is a joy, or maybe it is that you just plot along with with a heavy heart in that ministry, in that work. When you've done much, or maybe it is you've done very little, always give tireless diligence. Abounding. And here's the why. Look at it again. Abounding, knowing that we are to abound in the Lord's work since we realize and know that it is not empty. Now, I love what Paul does here. In the opening verses of this chapter, in chapter 15, especially in chapter 15 and verse 14, Paul reminded the Corinthians that they had not believed the gospel in vain, that their preaching was not in vain, that they did not hope in it in vain or in emptiness. And with these words, it just seems that his argument comes full circle, affirming that their salvation was because they believed and stood firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is what sustains the labor that we do in the Lord. God's Spirit coming to work within us, that our work is through Him. But you know what? You take out the resurrection and there is nothing left. 
Our labor is in connection with the Lord, and it is therefore, whatever it is that we do in Jesus' name, always highly productive. Let's look at Christian history. Uh, to a man by the name of Adoniram Judson. Adoniram Judson uh, was called to go to the country of Burma. Burma is now our modern-day Myanmar. It's just northwest of Thailand. But uh, in the early 1800s, Adoniram Judson went to this place of Burma. He was there for 40 years. And it was Adoniram Judson who preached seven years, for seven years in Burma, before he ever saw his first convert to the Lord Jesus Christ. He was there for 40 years. Adonai Judson's labor was not in vain. But we come to the modern day, listen, to the Bible study teacher, the Sunday school teacher who, who shows up every Sunday. Every Sunday morning, every weekend to teach children or teach youth or to teach adults, that Bible class, their labor is not empty. Or we could go back and talk about the missionary who who serves in an area of an unreached people group. And mind you again, there, there are over three billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. It has been uh, located just to know that there are over 3,000 unreached people groups in all of the world. And for the missionaries that are sent in these particular areas, their labor, their work is a little bit slow. It is hard. There is a task that is... But listen, their labor, their work is not in vain. And to you, you who give, who are faithful each and every week, With whatever service that God has called you to do, whatever ministry that God has placed upon you, your labor and work and toil is not in vain. And yes, you too can sing that song of victory. Be steadfast in your service. (laughs) Be immovable when it is that you may be suffering for the faith, always abounding in your service to others because... Your labor and toil and ministry is not in vain. All of the harvest, all of the reward come from Almighty God. That without Him, all of love's labor is lost. And I say to you this morning that if you're tired and you're weary in your service today, then let this come back. Let God's Spirit come and refresh you and encourage you to remember the old song that says, Sometimes I feel discouraged and, and I think my work is in vain. But then the Holy Spirit comes to revive my soul again. There is a balm in Gilead. We cannot measure the faith, the love, and virtues in the hearts of God's people. Earthly work can be easily measured. But when you work for the Lord, think about it. You cannot take inventory. However, the Lord sees and knows all that you're seeking to do in His name. And when it comes down to it, some people are are recognized for their greatness in this life. While on the other hand, God honors those particular lives, others in the life to come. There's a name you're probably not familiar with, a name by the name of Henry Morrison. And Henry Morrison was a faithful missionary 
who served the Lord in Africa for over 40 years. Henry Morrison recalled the, the emotional day when he and his wife boarded a ship and they were headed back to the United States. And Henry Morrison's mind just began to, just was flooded with the memories of the wonderful experiences that they had there on the mission field. And he began wondering what it would be like to return to his Midwestern hometown. Will anyone there remember us? Will anyone there honor us for the work that we've done for the Lord? Now, aboard that same ship that day with Henry and his wife, was the former president of the United States, Theodore Roosevelt. President Roosevelt was returning from a big game hunting trip of where he had been in Africa. And so when the ship, when it pulled into the New York Harbor, there were thousands of people there to greet the former president. And the crowds cheered, the bands played. Oh, there were, there were signs, there were banners, there were billboards everywhere just saying, Welcome home. President Roosevelt. And as the dear missionary and his wife left the ship, they saw that uh, no one had come to welcome them back home. And so with a heavy heart, uh, Henry Morrison went to his hotel room. He told his wife, he said, you know, he said, uh, for 40 years we poured our lives into the ministry and service. And yet we come back home, we come back to America, and not a single soul comes to welcome us home. His wife came and sat down next to her husband, and she just kind of put her hand on his shoulder, and she said, Henry, she said, I think you have forgotten something. You're not home yet. You're not home yet. Do you ever feel like the things you do for God are for nothing? <laughs> Never forget that this world is not your home. So be steadfast in your service, immovable when you may be ridiculed, mocked, and suffer for the faith, and abound in your service to others knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And because of the assurance of Christ's victory over death, we know that nothing that we do for Him will ever be wasted, will ever be lost. And yes, we too can sing that song of victory. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. And I know that he is living, no matter what the naysayers, the doubters, the skeptics, other people may say. I, I see his hand of mercy. I hear his voice of cheer. But you know what? Just the time I need him, he's always near. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me. He, he talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. And you ask me how I know that he lives. He lives within my heart. You can sing a song of victory as you serve the Lord each and every day.
Can you personally say that you can sing that song of victory because you know God and you have that personal relationship with Him through Jesus Christ? If not, then you need to turn and you need to give your heart and your life to the Lord Jesus today. God's Spirit speaks to you this morning and you're at the right place at the right time to know as the Bible says that yes, that we have all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The only one perfect was Jesus Christ. And as we have all sinned, it was Jesus Christ who took all of our sin that was placed upon His life when He died upon that cruel cross. And He died for you, taking your sin and mine. He was buried, and yes, He rose again to give us life. Now you may already know that. But you know what? You've never, ever done anything about it. And let this be the day that you do so. You admit that, yes, you are a sinner. You believe that Jesus Christ, that he did die for you. And you turn from your sin and you turn to the Lord Jesus Christ to give your life to him. And believing in him and trusting in him by faith and trust. And calling upon him and just praying a simple prayer. Lord God, save me today. I turn from my sin, I give my life to the Lord Jesus, and I want to be called your child. Listen, you do that today. I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to be standing here, there on the front row, and you can come talk to me after we pray and as we sing, or maybe even after worship this morning. Come to follow Christ, follow the Lord Jesus in believer's baptism. Come and just be a part of this local church and be a part of a church where you can serve the Lord and that you can sing that song of victory together and you can tie into, plug into whatever service or ministry that God would be leading you. It may be that there's other requests that you may have and you need someone to pray with you this morning. You can come to me as we pray and as we talk. But listen, in just a few moments, we're going to come, we're going to sing that song, Spirit of the Living God. And listen, I just ask that God's Spirit would fall upon us this morning. God's Spirit would fill us today. God's Spirit moves upon you in any way that today that you would say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ today. Father, we thank you, Lord, this morning that because of Christ, because of the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, That we can sing that song of victory in Jesus Christ and because that Jesus Christ lives today. He died on that cross. He was buried. And on the third day that he arose again. Lord, help us each and every one, Father, be steadfast in our service and our work for you. Immovable, Lord, maybe at times when we're ridiculed and mocked and we suffer for the faith. And yet we will always abound in our service unto others, knowing, Lord, that our labor that we do for you is not empty, is not in vain. Lord, you know all about us. You know the heart and lives of each and every individual this morning. I ask, Lord, that your spirit would draw those, Lord, to you today, that you be lifted up and you be glorified. And, Father, you bless your church, Lord, in this moment in time and in the days together of service. And, Lord, as we look to you, for we thank you, we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us?